Let's pray together. Lord, we do come together and we bless your name this morning. And you know that we walk right now through the valley of the shadow of death. In this life, things are broken so badly around us, and we need you. And so we come to you today. We ask you to fill us up, you to meet our needs, and we ask you to save our souls. Lord, you are so good, and so we trust your promise today. Would you speak to us now and lead us into your, in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. Every week as I sit down to write a sermon, there are a list of prayer requests that I pray through. And one of them goes, Lord, please help me to be obedient to the demands of this passage. Help me to enter the pulpit having already submitted my life to this truth before I preach it. Sometimes I do better at this than other times. But it's my prayer to practice what I preach. This week, though, as I prayed this prayer, it totally convicted me because I realized I have not been very obedient to these words. I'm not living them out very well right now. And today's passage tells us to, to pray for one another constantly and with urgency. And I can say I'd more been praying sporadically, with laxity. Prayer's always been a struggle for me, and I guess it'd be the same for many of you. But the problem with prayerlessness is that it stems directly from pride and self-reliance. It essentially tells God that we don't need him, that we've got things under control ourselves. I was convicted enough this week that when I prayed this, I dropped everything that I was doing, that I planned to do, and for the next hour plus, I worked my way through our church directory, praying for each of you by name, praying that God would protect you from evil and that he would provide for all your needs. It's a perk to accepting the invitation to our directory. <laughs> but all that to say, this doesn't make me a hero. This makes me a, a prideful sinner like you who needs to repent and grow in dependence on the Lord every day. I need this. I need to pray more for you, and I want you to pray more for me and for each other. We, because we all need the Lord far more desperately than we may think. So I pray today that God's word would inspire us to alertly persevere in prayer. If you have a Bible, please turn in it to Ephesians chapter 6 with me for our final look at Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 6. And last week we read the powerful, famous passage on the armor of God. We were reminded of, of the real, personal, 
merciless battle we are part of as Christians. Not against other people, but against the devil and his friends. And this is not a fight that we can win on our own strength. So we were told, in verse 10 there, we were told, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Lord, the Lord provides all that we need to stand strong against evil in himself and in his armor. And so we can be strong in the Lord by putting on the armor of God. We discussed this at length last week, so if you have questions about the armor of God or what it is, how to wear it on a daily basis, you can go back and refer to that message from last week. For today, I'm just going to read through the passage and then continue on from there. All right? Follow along with me. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now Paul keeps right on going there. His sentence not ending until verse 20. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. A prayer. You could define prayer as communication and communion with God, talking with God, being with God. Yes, a major aspect of prayer is asking him for things, making petitions. But we also pray when we worship him, when we thank him, when we lament to him, when we confess our sins to him, and when we listen to him speak to us. But what does prayer have to do with spiritual warfare and the armor of God? Some, prayer, some feel that prayer is actually another piece of the armor. I don't think it is exactly. Prayer does seem to be a final part of Paul's list here of how to stand strong in the Lord. It's the seventh item on the list, to be precise, the number of perfection. But I think Paul doesn't assign prayer a piece of armor because it's on another level for us. He wants to emphasize how essential prayer is, so he gives it a greater prominence at the end here. And there just wasn't a, a metaphorical piece of armor that could do it justice. So he simply says, pray. And then he underscores it with some repetition. He says to pray 
or make supplication, another term for prayer, four times in one verse. Look at it, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I believe the point is this, that we should pray constantly for strength to stand against evil. We need to pray constantly for the strength we need to stand against evil. I think there's merit to saying that prayer is the primary way we put on the armor of God. How we express our trust in God. Calling on him for his protection and provision and power. Tim Keller explains that prayer is the way that all the things we believe in and that Christ has won for us actually become our strength. Prayer is the way that truth is worked into your heart to create new instincts, reflexes, and dispositions. I believe prayer that is, is clearly one of the main ways that we can be strong in the Lord and not in ourselves, expressing to him our daily or even hourly dependence on him. But the prior verses we just read also explain why prayer is so urgent. Because the dangers are so real. The dangers are so real. Every day, Satan will shoot his flaming arrows at us. And we will be tempted towards all kinds of various sins and evils. We will struggle with doubts about God and his presence or his care. We will at times feel pulled toward despair by the hardships of our world. We will hear teachings about God and faith that sound good, but are actually false. We, and we will face opposition to our faith, reviling, rejection, and persecution. And with all of these dangers that can so easily take us down, we need to depend on God. As Kent Hughes says, those who would engage in spiritual warfare, regardless of how well they wear truth and righteousness and faith and salvation, regardless of how well they are grounded in peace, regardless of how well they wield the word, must make prayer the first thing. The Christian soldier fights on his knees. Now, there's another word repeated four times in verse 18. Did you notice it as we read? It's the word all. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, our prayer should be Continual, varied, persistent, and intercessory. When should we pray? At all times or on all occasions. What kinds of prayers should we pray? All prayer and supplication, all kinds of prayer, varied prayers. How should we pray? With all perseverance and persistence. And whom should we pray for? 
for all the saints or all the believers. We're also told to pray in the Spirit, much like we're told to be filled with the Spirit in chapter 5. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit, though? How do we do this? Well, in Ephesians 2, it told us that we have access in one Spirit to the Father. So, if you are still living in your sin, you have not been saved by Christ, you have no guarantee that God will answer your prayers. None. But, once we have the Spirit, once the Spirit indwells us, we have constant, 24-7 access to God's throne. We can come before Him. And now as the Spirit enables us to bring our prayers before God, He also helps us know what to pray, inspiring us and guiding us. And He even prays on our behalf. As Paul says in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I also think that praying in the Spirit is intimately connected with the sword of the Spirit, which is mentioned in the words right before this. It said, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. In other words, as we wield the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, in our daily lives, our prayers will be shaped by the Word of God and thus by the Spirit of God. In summary, you could say that all believers can pray in the Spirit as we approach God, not necessarily even knowing what to say, but letting our words be shaped by the Word and by the Spirit's guidance. Now, something else here might concern you, though. This instruction can seem quite unrealistic. Right? Praying at all times? How are we supposed to do that? It's similar to how 1 Thessalonians says to pray without ceasing. Now, these don't mean that we have to talk nonstop to God in a never-ending stream of words. I've likened it before to having a, a hacking cough that just won't go away after a sickness. Right? Coughing at all times or without ceasing doesn't mean you cough every second. But it does mean that you regularly, frequently can't help but do it. Or it could be something like when I call my wife on the phone. Maybe at the end of a long day as I'm driving home, put her on Bluetooth and chat with her. We could talk for a few minutes and, and then maybe run out of things to say. Or one of us get, may get interrupted by something else around us. But we can leave the line open and the call going. Even in interruption, even in silence, we're constantly aware of each other's presence and company, and we can talk freely whenever something is on our minds. Praying constantly shouldn't be a burden, but a blessing. And 
incomprehensible blessing. And we can experience that kind of connection and closeness with God at all times. Like we can talk to him at church. You can talk to him at home. You can, with our family, with our friends, while we're at work or at school, when life is great, or when life is decidedly not great. While we're skimming the news, while singing songs, while literal or figurative storms rage. While the kids are going to bed, while we lie sleepless in our beds, while we're driving, cooking, cleaning, walking, running, playing, hurting, struggling, texting, surfing. You get the idea. We really need something from the Lord at all times. So thank God that we can pray at all times. And the Almighty Lord, the, our commander in the battle, can in an instant lend his supernatural aid to us, which in a fierce spiritual battle is an absolute lifeline. Using yet other imagery, John Piper says that prayer is like a wa- or is a walkie-talkie for warfare, not a domestic intercom for increasing our conveniences. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. We have the God of the universe available to us quicker than the click of a button. And this warfare prayer is why we're also told to keep alert here. Pray with perseverance. Because we, like Jesus' disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, are easily lulled to sleep. And because praying constantly takes perseverance. Prayer can be hard work. But it's also the most blessed, most encouraging, most rewarding work there is. You know the parable that Jesus told of the persistent widow from Luke 18? It was a story Jesus told about this widow who had been aggrieved by an enemy of hers, and she kept going to this judge in her city to ask for justice against them. But this judge was was an unjust judge who didn't fear God, didn't care for other people. Nevertheless, the widow wore him down by her persistence. She annoyed him until he gave in. And eventually, he gave her the justice that she sought. Jesus then contrasted God to the judge, saying, in effect, isn't God way better than that? (laughs) And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And the point of it all, he said, is that we ought always to pray and never lose heart. Therefore, no matter what you're facing in your life today, for good or bad, 
big or small, pray. And don't lose heart. Even if it seems like God is taking forever, he isn't. In his time, he will answer your prayer according to his will. In the way that we would have asked in the first place if we knew all that he knows. And finally, don't miss the emphasis that the emphasis in Ephesians is not on praying for ourselves, but for others. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You and I are not alone on the battlefield. We're all in this war. We're all in danger. And we're all in this together. One of the best ways we can serve and love one another is to pray for one another. This is... This means that whenever someone just pops into your head and your thoughts, don't just admire them, judge them, worry about them, or whine about them. Pray for them. Pray for them. This means that if you keep some kind of prayer list, other people should feature prominently on that list. This means whenever you get together with someone else, it's never a bad idea to pray together. This means that when someone mentions something hard that they are experiencing, stop the conversation and offer to pray right then and there. You know how when you catch on fire, you're supposed to stop, drop, and roll. We need to become adept at every crisis to stop, drop, and pray. Our, should be our first response. And for what should we pray for others? Whatever they need. That's supplication. Making supplication for all the saints. We all have great need, so we must go to our great God to meet those needs. As we look out to others' needs, there is one need that is greater than any other. And that is salvation. And there is a way that we can actually play a part in God meeting this need of, other, of, the, of theirs, which leads to the, the one specific prayer request that Paul makes in this passage. You see it? It says, making supplication for all the saints, in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, as we consider our prayerful dependence on God, this gives us a takeaway as well, that we should pray constantly for boldness to proclaim the gospel. We should pray constantly for the boldness we need to proclaim the gospel to others. This is a great way to pray for yourself, for your Christian friends, for pastors, for missionaries, for anyone. Like, pray also that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Like, we may think that the Apostle Paul was some super Christian, 
But here, he vulnerably reveals that everything didn't just come naturally to him. It's an encouragement to all of us amateur, bumbling Christians. Paul knew his mission was to preach and share the gospel wherever God led him. And while we aren't first century apostles, we have the same great commission. To make disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel to every creature. And Paul identifies his greatest needs on this mission for the, for, for the words to say and for the boldness to say them. You ever feel those needs? You ever want to share Jesus with someone but struggle to find the right words to say? Or you maybe know what you ought to say in a moment, but you shy away from saying them? You're in good company. But like Paul, we shouldn't want to stay there. People need to hear of Jesus or they could spend eternity apart from God and his love. And that urgent, ultimate need ought to move us to pray for words and for courage. If you're not praying that that both you and others would reach out to the lost with boldness, let me encourage you to make this a habit. Put it on your prayer list. Set a, a daily reminder on your phone. Stick it on your washroom mirror or your car dashboard. Whatever it takes to remind you to pray this. I want to ask you as well to pray this for me. Like since I get up and in front and preach the gospel every week to you all, you may think that, that sharing the gospel with boldness is easy for me. It's not. I struggle with unrehearsed conversations. And I shy away from key opportunities, and inevitably regret it. So I would be ever so grateful if you could regularly bring me before the Lord. And you need the same. Maybe tap someone on the shoulder today and ask them to pray for you. Don't be shy. As forgetful, apathetic, timid people, we need to help each other out. Paul wasn't shy. Like he was already in prison for spreading the gospel. Since I'm an ambassador in chains for this. Seems like he would have already had plenty of boldness. But he knew his need for more. The need is too great to ignore. And our weaknesses are too great to dismiss. So we must pray. If you're not sure what we're talking about by the gospel, let me give it to you in a nutshell. The gospel refers to the good news about Jesus. See, our creator God made us to love him and to live with him. But since very early on in our history as humanity, we rebelled against him. We turned away from him. And the only just consequence for our sin against a perfectly holy God is death, both physically now and then eternally in hell. But the good news is that in love, God our Father made a way to save us from our dark, deserved fate. He sent his Son to earth 
as a man, Jesus, to live the life that we should have lived and then to die the death we should all die under God's judgment before rising again to life, securing life for us forever. And now he invites everyone to believe in him, trusting in him alone for salvation. And we, in this, we turn away from our sin and we turn to him in faith and he saves us. He forgives us and cleanses us and changes us, places his spirit inside of us. That's the gospel. It changed my life forever. And I pray that it will change yours as well. Like if you want Jesus today, you can have him. And if you need help with that, let us know. Because God has put us on a mission to reach out to you with this wonderful good news. To share it with you. And with that, we come to the end of the main body of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Over the final four verses, he has some personal tidings and then a benediction. But, perhaps surprisingly, I think we can learn one final lesson about prayer here. Based on what, Paul's, what Paul first desires for the Ephesians and then what he prays for on their behalf. And that's this, that we should pray constantly for encouragement from grace in Christ. We should pray constantly for encouragement from grace in Christ. Like Paul knew that in an intense spiritual battle, believers would have great need of encouragement. Otherwise, we'd be prone to give in to discouragement or despair. So, to serve the Ephesians, Paul first sent a, a dear friend to them, likely delivering this very letter. It says in verse 21, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul had spent several years in Ephesus with many of the saints there. He had grown to love them. They had grown to love him. And hearing that he was an ambassador in chains for the gospel would have worried them. How's Paul doing? But he sought to set their minds at ease, having Tychicus share how he was doing. Now, Tychicus is mentioned a couple times in Scripture, though not in much depth. He appears in Acts 20, and it seems that he was originally from Ephesus, so he knew people too. He's a mutual friend of theirs. He was quite possibly a convert from Paul's time ministering in their city. And when Paul left town, he took Tychicus with him. And he had been a faithful encouragement to Paul for years now. He calls Tychicus a, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord's work. Think about it, that encouragement must have been, or endorsement must have been quite an encouragement to Tychicus as well, uplifting to him. So, in essence, Paul encouraged an encourager to encourage others. Now, the point of these verses isn't really prayer. It's more just informal greetings and instructions. 
but I think we can still gather our distinct need for encouragement as well as our ability we have to encourage one another. Paul was sending a close friend well over a thousand kilometers away, likely by foot or horseback, with the sole purpose of encouraging people's hearts. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. When Jesus unites us together as his people, he gives us, really I think it's an innate love for one another. We automatically start caring for people who we never would have cared for before. And thus, when we are separated for a while, whether from a move or travel, lockdown, sickness, or perhaps one of us starts drifting spiritually, it's only natural to be concerned with how the other person is doing. Let me challenge you with this. Do you know how people in our church are actually doing? Those who have been going through trials, you know how they're holding up? Those who you haven't seen in a while, you know where they're at with the Lord? Those who you see often but never go deep with, you know how their heart is doing? Is there someone the Spirit may be prompting you to reach out to today? To find out how they are. And more importantly, to encourage them. Spur them on. Like we all need encouragement from time to time. Actually, all the time. We need encouragement. And can you message someone offering to meet up, offering, inviting them over for a meal maybe? Can you pull someone aside and offer to pray for them today? Can you write a note with a, a scripture verse that's on your heart? Like God has placed us in each other's lives in order to support each other in this battle of a life. It's no coincidence. And then the final verses return us to prayer. A prayer of benediction and blessing which I think shows us both the greatest needs we have, which God can fulfill, and God's manifest desire to meet all of these needs for us in Christ. What does Paul pray for? Verse 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Peace, love with faith, and grace. Grace really could sum them all up. All of this from God. If you love Jesus with love incorruptible, incorruptible, may grace be with you. Are these the kind of things that you most desire? 
even for yourself. If not, why not? They are what we most need. And are these the kinds of things that you most wish for your loved ones? Like what we wish for those we love most reveals a lot about our hearts and our passions and our priorities. So do you pray for peace, and love, faith, and grace for them? And maybe we should just stop and pray right now for the first person that God brings to our minds. And later on, you can let them know that you prayed this for them. Go ahead, take a, take a minute. Now, if you've been going through Ephesians with us, this list may sound interesting to you because these are all things that Ephesians has clearly said we already have in Christ. Peace be to the brothers, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And love, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, with faith. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And grace be with all who love Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And those are just a sampling. Peace, love, faith, and grace are everywhere. So, why pray for these things if we already have them? Because we need to be more aware daily of the blessings we have in Christ already. And because this isn't as much of a request as it is a declaration or a pronouncement. See, God was sending a blessing to his people through Paul from heaven to earth. Yes, we can, we can and should pray for these things in greater measure, in bigger comprehension, in better understanding, in wider appreciation, in more vivid experience. But most of all, we need to see how God has already pronounced these things over us in Christ. He's declared them to be true. As Michael Emlet explains, in the New Testament, benedictions are God's parting shot to his people through the human author. The last word is God's word of blessing. No matter what other weighty matters of sin and suffering Paul might have had to address, a struggle with affliction and even our stuttering obedience does not get the final word. God's farewell to his people stands full of hope and blessing. I love that. And so, hear these words as if God himself were declaring them to be true of you, because he is if you are in Christ. 
peace be to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Do you love Jesus with love incorruptible? Also translated as undying love. I hope so. I hope that the words of this book have awakened or reawakened your love for him. For him who loved us and gave himself up for us. So that we could have peace and love and faith and grace in him forever. These, these are God's plans for those of us who are in Christ. And these plans are glorious. No, the church isn't perfect. Not by a long shot. No one has ever claimed that we are. But Samuel James has beautifully described how I believe we should view the church in light of what Jesus has done for us and how Jesus sees us. He says this, Jesus stares into the abyss of our personal idolatry, our adultery, our cruelty, our thievery, and our bigotry, and he offers his own body as a perfect sacrifice to absorb the holy wrath of God against our very real sin. He offers forgiveness for people as bad as us. Yes, we are wicked. Yes, we are compromised. Yes, we are loved. And that last identity, not the first two, is the one that controls our destiny. This is how I want to view the church of Jesus. Wicked and compromised, but loved and purified and destined for greatness. Thanks to Jesus, that's what we are. Allow me to share just a brief story of something God used to encourage me recently. As I've mentioned last month, I was at a, a big conference down in Kentucky, a conference center filled with 12,000 believers from literally all over the world. And during one of our breaks, one of my travel mates from Montreal was talking with a gentleman sitting behind us and talking about where we were all from. And when he heard that someone was from Ottawa, this man perked up. Who's from Ottawa? So I leaned over and introduced myself, and he asked me what church I was at in Ottawa. He said I said I was in Calvary Baptist Church, and then he made an eerily close guess on our church's street address. It's like, close? How'd you know that? Proceeded to tell me his name, Lorne Trudgeon, and he told me, to my great surprise, that he had been a pastoral intern here at Calvary. 1979-1980, 43 years ago. Lorna has since gone on to pastor in several churches in Ontario and Alberta. And so, but you get the odds there? Like, God arranged it so that out of 12,000 people in an enormous room, 1,400 kilometers away from home, 
I would meet a man who cut his teeth in ministry at my own church in the years before I was even born. Just think of that. God was so good to let me meet Lorne and see God's faithfulness in his life over the years. But it also reminded me of how faithful God has been in our life as a church family over the years. God has worked some glorious plans through this humble little church on Main Street in Ottawa. Thousands of people's lives have been impacted through the mystery of the gospel, most of which we don't have even the slightest clue about. And as the gospel continues to go forth, and as we prayerfully depend on God's power and strength, God will certainly do plenty more glorious things. Peace will be spoken and shared in and among and through us. Love will be given and received in and among and through us. Faith will be born and expressed in and among and through us. And grace will be imparted and enjoyed in and among and through us as long as we are found in the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, how we need you. Not just every year or every day, but every hour, we need you. Teach our hearts to depend on you. Teach us to run to you first before anything else. And may you be pleased to bless us abundantly as we are found in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.